0: Well, good morning, Northridge Church. Welcome home. Welcome to the family. Listen, if you're here in Rochester, if you're out in Webster, if you're my online folks uh, joining us digitally in all kinds of ways uh, through Church Online platform or streaming app, Roku, CW, so many ways to be here. So glad you all are. Well, listen, got a question for you this morning. Have you ever put all your hope, I mean all your hope, in a new relationship? She's the one. He's the one. Or maybe all your worth is wrapped up in raising and enjoying a wonderful family. Or maybe it's that dream job or that golden career and you just say, I just need that job that I was made to do. And have you ever been disappointed. I'm not going to tell you that a good marriage or a good family or a good career is easy or without frustrations, but I will say that if you start on the wrong foundation, if you have the wrong goals, you will not experience what God intended for you to experience. But before we get into that, let's Review. I mean, we've been reading the book of Colossians, or a letter written by Paul to people he never met in a city called Colossae. Paul has been moving throughout the Roman world, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now to the people of Colossae, he is communicating this message, Christ is the fullness of God, and we need to be full of him. And if we really are, if that's really true, then our lives will change. You see, Paul is saying what we really believe changes how we live. And I put that really in parentheses because we can claim, claim to believe all kinds of things, but the proof of it is what we really believe It's going to change our lives. What would a marriage Look like? What would a family look like? What would a career look like if it was saturated in the gospel? Well, first, let's talk about the world that Paul is writing to. In the Roman world of the first century, really, no surprise, was a very patriarchal world. Men ruled their homes, men ruled their wives, who were very much second class citizens. They had few rights. If they were born free, and if they were citizens, they still did not have the right to vote or hold public office. And men ruled over their children. And men, if they had them in their household, they ruled over their slaves. But the people in these Roman homes... We're hearing the gospel and embracing the gospel. And things were starting to change. And Paul focuses in here on three transformed relationships within a Roman home. He's was, he was talking about wives and husbands. He's talking about children and fathers. He's talking about masters and slaves. And these six roles in three relationships are turned upside down. First, let's talk about wives and husbands. Paul says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So I know that this is a very, it's a very big topic. I mean, we have a short time this morning and a lot to say a lot more than this. And if you have any questions, I mean, we will send out an equip email like we always do. Please sign up for that resource. Um, If you have questions, go ahead and send me an email. All our pastors' addresses have emails. And I'm sure, you know, that as we go through this, if you have a question, we would love to follow up more. But in the time that we have here, what we say, I mean, certainly this statement is the most controversial. But in Paul's day, this was the least controversial statement. This was a, a given. But what does Paul mean by godly submission? Well, according to Paul, submission is prompted by a husband's love. Prompted by her husband's love. Karen and I are old school. Okay, we were married in 1988 and we took old school vows. And my wife promised to love, honor, and wait for it, obey me. And I remember early in our marriage, we may have been having an animated discussion, and I said, honey, I just, can you explain to me, you said in the presence of hundreds of witnesses and in the presence of God that you would obey me. Just, just tell me, just in your own words, what did you mean by that? My wife has never answered with a single word to that question. But the way she looked at me, honestly, I was shocked my hair didn't catch on fire. But she's right she's right. It's none of my business. That's between her and God. All throughout history, all kinds of men have tried to be helpful in explaining to women what submission means. But listen, husbands, don't read her mail. That's her mail. Read our mail. her submission, however her conscience dictates. It's supposed to be prompted by our love. It doesn't say husbands make love to your wives. It says husbands love your wives. And that Greek word is agape. Agape love is a selfless love. It is a deliberate love. It's the way God loves us. It is a love that always has the interest of the other person at heart. And we love our wives by dying for them just as Christ died for us. If, you're, if your wife submits, husbands love your wives. If your wife doesn't submit, husbands love your wives. If your wife has a different definition of submission than you do, husbands love your wives. And here is the Christ-like kicker. Never be harsh with them. I wish I could say I've never been harsh with Karen, but when I'm dwelling on Christ's gentleness with me, how can I be harsh with her? And should I submit to Christ? Yes. Does he demand that or force me into submission? No. Does he love me and have my best interest at heart? Yes. Husbands, I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to all of you. Love and empower your wives. Do not be harsh. Harsh with them. And Paul says, submission is also voluntary. And the form of the verb that Paul uses here indicates that submission is a voluntary act. Now, Roman culture demanded submission, but the gospel requests it. Husbands, give your wives the agency, the autonomy, the dignity, the space to submit voluntarily. Christ is kind and patient with us. Be kind and patient with her. And thirdly, submission is in the Lord. Uh, The phrase there is fitting in the Lord. And I want to circle back to that phrase later after we get through all of the relationships. But in all these instructions, Paul is presupposing a Christian home. And your wife's primary reason to submit, it's not to please you, it's to please the Lord. And just to quote one commentary, the wife is to defer to, that is, be willing to take second place to her husband, yet we should never interpret this as if it implies that the husband may be a domestic despot ruling his family with a rod of iron. And I want to add a ton of cautions to how we understand submission. Paul's encouragement to submit here, it does not pressure anyone to sin or violate their conscience. It does not pressure anyone to compromise their safety or their family's safety. It is never meant to demean someone or keep them in their place. It's never a legitimate cover for any kind of oppression or abuse. And it is limited, what Paul is talking about here is limited to your marriage. It says nothing about how women relate to other men Um, who are not their husbands. Other men in society. It says nothing about a woman's role or responsibility in the church. It says not here. And it says nothing about her role in society or business or education or government or advocacy for justice. And the Bible has a long tradition of women in leadership. Women who led nations into war like Deborah did in the Old Testament or who made peace like Abigail did when she got David to cool down and not go to war. Or women like Priscilla who trained Apollos in theology and the Apostle Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and Luke and the Book of Acts throughout both of those books. So many women are highlighted as heroes. And in no way does this verse undermine the Bible's long arc of advocacy for marginalized women. Not just marginalized women, marginalized children, marginalized workers. So wives, don't let anyone say this verse means more than it does. And don't let them weaponize it. And I know I'm just another white male property owner up here, and that's, that's problematic. I know that it is because the risk is that I will use this verse to get what I want, that I will try to stay in my lane and love Karen and not... Be harsh with her. And I would just ask you to, you know, prayerfully, you know, consider this instruction. I don't know, you know, what submission looks like for you. It's between you and God. I'd encourage you to talk to godly women, others uh, who you can trust, pray, but do it in a way that pleases the Lord. So in marriage, wives are to submit, yes, but husbands, husbands are to gently and sacrificially in a Christ-like way, Love. Well, what about the next relationship? Children and fathers. Paul says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Again, on the children's side, nothing too shocking in the Roman world about this. But while the behavior might be Roman, the motivation is Christian. Yes, children should obey their parents. But again, he's, Paul's imagining a Christian home where everyone has been shaped by gratitude for the gospel. And yes, kids should obey, should obey their parents, even when they don't want to, even when mom and dad are wrong, happens occasionally. But children are never obliged to sin. And any form of physical, spiritual, emotional, God forbid, sexual abuse, never, given cover by a verse like this. So dads, what am I going to say? Read your own mail, right? Read your own mail. Of course, we communicate the expectation for children to obey, but there there always has to be a heart check, right? I mean, is my pursuit of their obedience and their best interests or mine? Am I trying to train and develop them or I'm just trying to keep them quiet, right? Am I... Raising that bar so high, they'll never attain it. Am I only pointing out their failures, never encouraging their progress? I am so proud of my grown daughter, Priscilla, and she was named after that Priscilla, I already mentioned, who trained Apollos in theology. Priscilla is talented, she's hardworking, but apparently growing up, I didn't always communicate that pride. And one night... I went to bed and found an index card on my pillow and Priscilla had carefully written out a scripture verse. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. I mean, I was crushed and I knew it was true. I would made a habit of being just so critical with my kids. I mean, I know I even said to them, you don't have to like me, you just have to obey me. Like father of the year, Right. And I wish I could tell you I turned it all around right there, but I did take that three-by-five card. I put it up on my bathroom mirror, and I left it up there for a long time as a reminder because that kind of behavior is never consistent with the gospel. So in a family, yes, children obey, but fathers, fathers encourage. And finally, slaves and masters. So, get to talk about submission and slavery. Oof. Uh, but let's give a little bit of background to, to what Paul is uh, talking about here in, with slavery. But first of all, slavery was universal in ancient times. That's just a given. Uh, throughout the ancient world, Rome, no exception. And Curtis Vaughn says, more than half the people seen on the streets of the great cities of the Roman world were slaves. And this was the status of the majority of professional people, such as teachers and doctors, as well as menials and craftsmen. Slaves were people with no rights, mere property existing only for the comfort, convenience, and pleasure of their owners. And as you read your New Testament, chances are wherever you see the word servant, it's this same word slave. In fact, Paul, when he opens his letter so often, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, it's really this word, slave. Paul chooses to be a slave of Christ. And Paul's intent here, it's not to take down all the evil institutions of the day. And at times, Paul was in prison wrongly. And whether Paul was a slave of Christ or a prisoner of Rome or a martyr, it wasn't his rights He was interested in it. was advancing at all costs the gospel. Curtis Vaughn goes on to say, the apostles, however, were not social reformers. They were first and foremost heralds of the good news of salvation in Christ. Then again, the church was a very small minority in the Roman world. There was no hope that its stance on the matter of slavery would influence Roman policies. We should be careful to understand though, they did not Condone slavery. Indeed, they announced the very principles, such as that of the complete equality between master and slave, that ultimately destroyed the institution of slavery. The gospel, it changed the world by changing hearts, not institutions, but those changed hearts, they ultimately spelled the collapse of those institutions. And slavery was also restrained in the Bible. The Bible regulated slavery. The Bible protected the slave. Now, even Roman slavery did not resemble the barbaric nature and outright racism of American slavery and the European slave trade. When Paul calls himself a slave, he wasn't thinking of anything remotely approaching what enslaved people in this country have experienced. And American chattel slavery was unbelievably dehumanizing. Prior to the Civil War, there were ministers in the United States, sadly, who tried defending American slavery using the Bible. And church leaders in Canada and Europe, they called them out. They said, you're kidding, right? Deuteronomy says that if a slave escapes, you don't return the slave to the master because that's evidence of abuse. And if you strike a slave, you damage his eye or knock out a tooth, he goes free. And no slave is a slave more than six years. Nowhere does the Bible base slavery on race, but American slavery was a racist belief that an entire race was inferior, degenerate, and destined to be denied human rights. And that is so Contrary to the bible 's teaching that we are all created in the image of God, so contrary of the vision of the Bible to bring all people from every tribe, tongue, and nation together at the throne of God, and the Bible never imagined an economy built on the buying and selling of people, but there were people in the, in the South, prosperous people in the South who were dependent on slavery, and they read and they twisted their Bible to support the horrible, evil, wicked practice of it. But finally, slavery really was undermined and overthrown by Christianity. Christianity ultimately took down the practice of slavery. I mean, here in the U.S., black leaders, both enslaved and free, preach the story of Moses delivering God's people out of bondage. Abolitionists used Christian preaching and teaching to rail against slavery. And because he was a Christian and a member of British Parliament, William Wilberforce campaigned all his life to end the slave trade. So that's a little bit of background, but what does Paul have to say? Well, here we go. Slaves for those wrongs and there is no favoritism. Masters provide for your slaves what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And Paul isn't talking about all slaves everywhere. Remember, this is a Roman household. Last week they heard the gospel, they embraced it. What changes this week? Well, oddly enough, not everything. They Are still labeled master and slave. But under this one roof, their hearts change, their motives change, the slaves are no longer being forced to serve, they are being asked to serve. Wait, I mean, I mean that just sounds so wrong, right? Shouldn't they be free? Well, in a way, they are, because the texts say they continue to obey, to work, and to serve, not because they have to, but because they choose to. And their work matters. God sees it. God is please, but, but I agree. I wish they'd stop calling them slaves, but let's look at the other, slot, other side. What about the master? They have a command to, a command to provide. Provide what? What is right, And fair. And they didn't even need a union to negotiate this. But in the Roman world, the master would press to get as much as possible from the slave for his own benefit. But here, the masters, they're forbidden from pressing their advantage. They're forbidden from exploiting the workers. Paul says, make sure your workers get all that they have worked so hard for. So in work, yes, slaves obey, they work and serve, but masters, masters provide. And let me just tell you one more story that might help. In a couple of weeks, we'll conclude our study of the book of Colossians, and in that last week, you might hear about a man named Onesimus. Now remember, Colossians is a letter written to the church in Colossae, but there's another book of the New Testament called Philemon, and that's written to one Christian household in Colossae, uh, Philemon's household. And Philemon had a slave. Now, I don't know if Philemon had this slave before he was Christian, after he was a Christian, but, Ones- but that slave was Onesimus, and Onesimus ran away. And eventually, Onesimus meets Paul, and Paul leads him to faith in Jesus Christ. And what does Paul do? Well, anyways, Paul trains him, Onesimus works for him hard in ministry, but then... Paul writes a letter to Philemon, gives it to Onesimus to send back to him. And what does Paul do? Does Paul say, well, Onesimus, it's so awesome you're a Christian, but you know, you're still a slave. Philemon owns you. No. Paul sends, Paul begs Philemon, Onesimus' former master, one, to grant Onesimus his freedom, and two, to welcome him back as a free man and a brother in Christ. It says in Philemon, Paul says in Philemon, perhaps the reason he, Onesimus, was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a a brother in the Lord. So wherever Christianity flourishes, slavery starts to disintegrate. So how does Paul's teaching about a Roman household thousands of years ago apply to us today? Or does it? I mean, we don't have masters and slaves. Um, we don't, women aren't you know, completely without rights or children treated like property. Well, maybe you have a boss you work for and she makes sure the company provides for you. Well, it sounds like you ought to work as forth the Lord. And if you're the boss, it sure sounds like you You should be advocating for and providing for your employees everything that is right and fair. And don't let this stop with your family or workplace and all your relationships. What is your opportunity to demonstrate a grateful heart for the gospel and to become a servant to others? Now, you remember when I said that we saw that phrase fitting in the Lord, and I said we'd circle back. Well, let me take another look at the text quickly, but highlight some of the phrases I kind of breeze through. Wives, submit as is fitting in the Lord. Children, obey, for this pleases the Lord. Slaves, obey with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Work as working for the Lord. Know that you will receive an inheritance. From the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving, and masters provide because you know that you also have a master in heaven. None of these relationships work without Jesus. I mean, the motivation, the energy, the drive for all of this comes from gratitude to the Savior. We're not doing this to get some earthly benefit, we do this because we've already gotten a heavenly benefit and the promise of so much more. You see, you may have stumbled in here this morning and said, I'd love a little tune-up for my marriage or getting a little frustrated with the kids, love to have a break, drop them off at Kidsmen, let's come on in here for some great parenting tips or I'd love to get ahead in my organization. Go ahead, preacher, drop some knowledge. And if that is you, I mean, we are so glad you're here. Please, please keep coming back. And You're right. The Bible has some killer advice. It's really possible that if you change your attitude and your marriage and your family, you could enjoy some real benefit. And if you read the book of Proverbs, you could gain some emotional intelligence and get ahead in your organization. But here's the problem. Without Christ, if you enter into these relationships, you go into them hungry and needy for what you need. And that job or relationship, it might satisfy for a while, but as soon as it disappoints, and it will, you're going to get greedy and manipulative. And you might even pitch it as a win-win. Listen, I'll serve you, but you better serve me. But that's not the picture Paul paints at all. All six of these people, the wives, the husbands, the children, the fathers, the employers, the employees, they're not looking to get. All of them are voluntarily giving up their rights by earthly standards they're all asked to lose but from a heavenly perspective they've already won what can never be taken away in christ instead they voluntarily serve give and love and the marriage may not be perfect but they know that they are the bride of christ And the kids might be challenging, but they know that they are children of the Heavenly Father. And that job might be stressful. And I know that stinks and it really is hard, but they know they have a master who provides for them and loves them. And when people respond to us, when we give gifts and they swat them away or treat us poorly, it hurts. I know it does. It really does. But we have a Savior who loved more and was rejected more. And he gets it, and he loves us, and we are his. And here's the secret. We need to be selfless in these relationships, but you can never be truly selfless unless you've been truly satisfied. The only way to be selfless is to meet a savior who gave everything for us. And that only comes through Christ at the cross. So will you pray with me? Lord, each and every week we have failed if we have not reminded ourselves of the gospel, of your great salvation that came at such great cost, of the sin that you took, of the forgiveness you gave, of the life of love you lived, and we get to live too. Lord, in all our relationships, there are hardships, there are frustrations, there are injustices, there are prejudice, racism, oppression, abuse. But somehow in this world, Lord, we can love others because we've been loved so greatly by you. Lord, this week, may we remember the gospel and may our gratitude be evident to all in our selfless love them. Amen.